Hey everyone, Vic here. I'm going to be speaking today again. Uh, we are in the middle still of a brand new series uh, out of the first letter that uh, the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, wrote. And uh, we're going to pick up from verse 13 today. But uh, you might not know this, but the first 12 verses, which we've spent three weeks on, that's actually one long sentence uh, that we've looked at. And it's interesting that in this long sentence, there isn't actually a single command in there, but uh, just these amazing affirmations and declarations of truth. And so it focuses almost exclusively on what God has done, those first 12 verses. And now we're actually going to move into what we need to do as a response to that. So uh, Peter actually moves into the implications of those first 12 verses that we looked at. And uh, he's going to get more and more specific as the chapters roll on. We're still right in the beginning, chapter 1, towards the end of that. But as we continue to journey together, things will get clearer and clearer, more specific. Um, and so that's why you'll see as we read now verse 13, it starts off with this amazing word, therefore. Um, and it's, it's to say that everything that is to follow must be rooted in the realities of the, the grace that we read about in those first 12 verses. You know, he talked about the new election. Uh, he spoke about new birth that we received. He talked about, you know, uh, uh, an imperishable uh, inheritance that we have, about a refined faith that we have, all these amazing things. He's saying because of that, therefore, he moves into some of these practical things. And I think Peter wants to make sure, like many of the other New Testament writers, that we never mess up that order. It's always what God has done and that results in what we then do. We never flip the order. We never do things in, in the hope that actually that will result in new birth or a refined faith or an inheritance one day. Actually, that is legalism. That is saying it's works righteousness. That's saying we earn those things. No, God graciously gives, gives us these things up front. And as a result, we find ourselves living it out. He does everything and then we find ourselves doing things as a result. So uh, read with me. We're actually going to break this up into little snippets. We'll read verse 13 uh, first and then we'll just continue reading one or two verses uh, along the way. That's how we'll do it this week. So if you have your Bibles, uh, let's just read that first verse. Verse 13 says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, before I jump into this verse and the, and the following verses, I'd love to just pray. Uh, won't you join me? Pray, pray along with me if you can. Thank you so much, Father, for your word and for an opportunity for us as a church to just go verse by verse, line upon line, and mine uh, what is written here, uh, mine the truths out of that, uh, and uh, learn about the implications for our lives. So may today be no different. Uh, help me as I speak, but also help uh, everybody as they listen that uh, what we hear and learn today would move from our heads through our hearts into our hands in a, in a sense. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we kicked off, we heard the word therefore over there. I explained that already, but he says prepare or preparing your minds for action. And preparing your mind here, the word prepare is actually the word gird up. It's not a word we really used back in those times. The, the men especially would wear uh, also garments, sort of these long tunics. And if they wanted to run or work, uh, the, the, the tunic would get in the way. And so what they would do is they would you know, gather up the garment and, and tuck it into their belt, sort of tuck in their tunics into their belt so that it wouldn't uh, trip them up or, or mess up the, what they're trying to do. 
And so the modern day equivalent for that's probably, you know, rolling up your sleeves. Uh, maybe you, uh, you wore a suit, I don't know, you went to a wedding, maybe, you know, one of the other nine guests, 10 guests that were there in the current state that we find ourselves in. Um, and you got home, you didn't change in time, but you need to do some, some work. You know, it might be in your garage, maybe you need to get uh, into your engine of your vehicle, I don't know, or into the garden and, uh, and you haven't changed yet. And so what you would do is you'd roll up your sleeves, you know, making sure that these sleeves don't get in the way, you don't get them messed up either. Maybe it's a tie, you're wearing a tie, a long one. And so, uh, you know, you, you, you might tuck in your tie, you know, in between the buttons in your shirt. Um, and so there's a sense that that's the preparation that needs to take place, otherwise it gets in the way. And, and, and Peter is saying here, prepare your mind, gird up your mind in a sense. Uh, for action. And so, you know, the question we have to ask when we hear that is that, okay, well, what then might get in the way sometimes of, of our thinking, of our minds, you know? Uh, I just think of the information age that we live in and how, how uh, easy it is to be distracted with entertainment and, of course, with information. Just think of the news, how it's, uh, it's often so, f so, much, so filled with so much bad news. Um, and, uh, and those things can really get in the way. It can actually prevent us from the next thing he's saying. He says, you know, be sober-minded. Uh, prepare your minds for action, being sober-minded. And, and, uh, and, you know, you can come to the conclusion that sober-minded is obviously the opposite of drunk-minded or in, impaired or intoxicated, uh, an, an intoxicated mind. And, and, and I think Peter's trying to say that, you know, just like light, like wine would, would, a good wine would make its way into your head and kind of affect the way you think, or alcohol. He's saying, like, you know, in a positive sense, let the, the truth of the gospel, the truth of these 12 verses, make its way into your mind and change your perspective, actually, and, and influence you positively, of course, not negatively in the sense of being intoxicated. Uh, and, and, and maybe that means that, you know, there needs to be an awareness of the realities of the broken world around us, uh, you know, being sober-minded, understanding the, the times, the age that we live in, um, and, and living sensibly as Christians in, in that world. But also, um, I think understanding that Jesus' return, you know, that the inheritance is a, is a foretaste of, uh, um, sorry, that the resurrection is a foretaste of, will, will, will ultimately restore all things. And, and actually, we're also on that team, team restoration with Jesus. And so I think having a sober mind, uh, according to, to Peter, is maybe the ability to live in tension of that now not yet kingdom, understanding that man is brokenness around us, but Jesus started the renewal process with me, my new birth, my, my new life, and I'm part of this team that can bring about change. And that's why he, he talks about preparing your minds for action. I love that about Peter. Peter is a practical guy, clearly. He was a fisherman, you know, and so he wasn't a philosopher in that sense. And, uh, and, and he likes getting practical. And the gospel and the kingdom of Jesus must actually move from our heads, you know, or from our hearts or, you know, through our heads to our hearts, into our hands or through our hearts, into our heads, into our hands. But the point he's trying to make is, you know, gird up your mind, prepare your mind for action, be sober-minded for action. Uh, because we, although we're exiles, that's how he describes, he opens up this letter by saying Christians are, are, are these pilgrims, you know, on our way to a new kingdom. We're exiles. He doesn't want us to be passive pilgrims, to, to just sit around waiting, you know, for our own inheritance. Uh, our, I keep saying inheritance. Our own, uh, it does include inheritance, but our own resurrection one day, just sitting around waiting for the return of Jesus, you know, just, just uh, not getting on with things, just kind of waiting for God to wrap it all up. Not 
He doesn't want us to be passive pilgrims. He wants us to be active exiles. He's like, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Get in uh, into, get your hands dirty in this world in a, in a sense. Peter loves action, uh, but I want you to know that he's not an activist. What do I mean by that? Well, he, he doesn't believe that you are changed by your actions. He, he's saying you are changed by your convictions. Like he's talking about those truths in those first 12 verses about what God has done. That produces the change. Believing that, putting your faith on that uh, is, is, is what brings about the change. Um, and so he loves action, but he's not an activist in that purest or truest sense. Um, but we find ourselves being active and, and, and that means there should be observable differences in the lives of Christians. Observable differences between us and the world. Remember, we're exiles in this world, as he says. And that is, a, it is a, that is a truth that you and I need to be aware of, is that as a Christian, there should be obvious differences. There should be obvious, actually, to people around us that we are followers of Jesus. He, he's, he's saying that's, that's, that's what this faith needs to produce, a difference in your life. You need to look differently. And so he moves into some of those examples. And so he, he, uh, he, he goes on to say, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. One of the differences is where our hope is placed. I know we've talked about that, but it bears repeating clearly by him as well. Uh, and, and setting your hope fully means not a partial dependency, not a partial hope. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, is what does our hope portfolio look like? He, he actually doesn't want us to have a hope portfolio like some people have a financial portfolio. You know, they don't have their eggs in just one basket. It's like they've got, you know, some money in shares here and an, an investment over there. And just to be safe, you know, just in case one flops, the other one might succeed. And actually, uh, Peter's saying, don't have a hope portfolio like that. Put your hope fully in what God has done for you in the gospel. Put your hope fully in the truth of the gospel, uh, not partially, uh, and in hoping in other things that are perishable, that are that are you know that can be corrupted, uh, that he spoke about about earlier, uh, worldly inheritances. He's 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 giving us a warning that we shouldn't do that. Maybe maybe uh, you live your life like that as a believer. You're saying, yeah, you know, my majority of my hope is in Jesus, but you know, I'm playing it safe. I'm also you know trusting a little bit in the government. Uh, and I'm hoping a little bit, you know, in my in the assistance, you know, financial assistance that come my way from them. I'm also putting my hope a little bit in, you know, my job security or um, I'm putting my hope in my relationships, my spouse, you know. So it's like majorities in Jesus. But, you know, I'm, I kind of spread it out a little bit as well. Share the load. Maybe it is even a vaccine. Uh, I, you know, as I've listened to the news and I listen to some people, uh, you know, there, there can be a dangerous line where people are putting their hope in, in, in a vaccine uh, in an unhealthy way. Now, I'm not speaking uh, about the vaccine. Please don't quote me uh, and say, you know, make me say things I never said. I'm, I'm talking about what are you placing your hope in? You know, if you subscribe to, you know, vaccine hunters, I, I believe there's an organization like that, just because you're so desperate for a vaccine, because in many ways you've put your hope fully or, or more on that than necessarily on trusting in Jesus. That is what I'm saying we need to be concerned and be careful about. It's about the motive behind that. And so he's saying, set your hope fully on, 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 the, on, on uh, let me read it to you, on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And, and I, that just speaks to me of rest. Like I want that kind of hope that is upon him. And I love how he says it will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It just speaks of God's grace and of God's kindness that He supplies 
all our needs. He supplies what we need. It's like we don't earn it, we don't make it happen. He brings it. It'll be brought to us. Again, it speaks of that day, one day where we realize it's all Him and we can trust Him and we can, and we can rely on Him. We can put our hope fully upon Him. May that be the case for you and me. So let's keep reading. 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll do verse 14 now, 2 verses to verse 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. What's going on here? Well, first of all, he says, as obedient children. In other words, you and I are sons, not slaves. We are daughters. We are children. We're not slaves. And it's, it's interesting to note that actually, you know, you can obey in both of those states. You can obey as a child or you can obey, obey as a slave. You know, both, both would find themselves in obedience at stages. But he's saying obedient children. That speaks of our adoption, that we are in a new family. And our obedience is therefore an outworking of love. Love for the Father. Love for Him as a child. That is the difference between a Christian and others, as we call God our Father. And he says, as obedient children, don't conform to the, you know, the, the pattern of this world. You know, as other scriptures say, don't conform to the passions of your former ignorance, as it's written over here. And, you know, obedience like that requires us to resist temptation temptation to sin. Uh, we fight sin, okay, we, because we know God is sinless. It says here He's holy. Uh, so God is sinless, and, and we know that sin is what wrecks humanity. Uh, sin is what wrecked our relationship with God. And so the warning is, actually, don't be friends with, with the very thing that, that derails, derailed humanity, that will ruin you. Um, it's a cruel slave master. It speaks of being conformed uh, to, to these, these passions. It, and it's saying, don't go back and be friends with it. Um, but be obedient children. Don't, don't run from the father. Run, run out of your family to that, to that cruel slave master. Because there, there is this difference he's drawing between you know, that of an obedient kid and, and to be conformed to the former, so an, an ignorant passions. And, and those words all describe that, you know, it, there, was, there wasn't truth involved. Uh, you know, there was ignorance. We, we didn't know the truth. And so don't run back to a lie. The, the image of slavery, that of being conformed, you know, to, to this uh, previous way. Uh, it says it's futile as well. You know, the futile ways, we'll, we'll read that a little later. Um, in other words, it's deadly. So the, the spiritual death that resulted in that sin and rebellion against God. And so he's saying, you know, kill the sin before it kills you. That's, that's how we now live as Christians. We understand that sin also ultimately put Jesus on the cross. That's, that's why he died in my place. My sin was upon him. It's not to be, 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 be friends with. Uh, and so we, we, are, we obey God and in doing so we resist sin. Um, it, it even carries on by, by, by talking lately, uh, later on about what we've inherited, uh, the sin from our forefathers. That, you know, it speaks of a cycle of sin, trapped in the cycle. Like it's not life, it's, it's death. It's not good, it's, it's bad. Uh, and so he says, therefore, be holy. Be holy, as he, as he goes, uh, goes on to say, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God says he's holy. And holiness, therefore, is both a, a belonging as a child, as obedient children. 
holiness means you, you, you've been bought. We'll look at that in a moment. You, you belong now to God. You're his child. Um, but it's also got to do with behaving, you know, as obedient children. It says you let your conduct not be uh, conformed, you know, change your conduct. Let it be holy uh, in verse 15. And I think that's one of the, the traits of a child, isn't it? You know, to, to, to the telling traits of a child, to know whose ki- kid they, they are. Like it's the way that they behave often, how they, how their mannerisms, you know, how, what they sound like. You know, I, I, was, I remember just a few weeks ago, actually, um, I was working in my study and I heard the door and um, I heard my wife's voice. Uh, you know, some, it's, they called up from downstairs and I got so excited. I was like, oh, my baby is home. And so I, I ran down to the stairs and realized it's the wrong baby. It actually was my daughter who came back from school and, uh, uh, and it wasn't my wife who came back from, from her shop or store. And so I, you know, I, I realized, okay, she's growing up and more and more she's starting to sound like my, uh, like my wife. Um, and many of you would know that's the case with even my oldest son, you know, like, like, like he's just starting to sound like me. Many of his mannerisms are like me. People say he's a carbon copy of myself. And that's, that's the way it is with Christians. It's like we actually are now children of the Father. And, and, and we'll see later on, you know, he puts his word in us, the seed that is planted that bears fruit in us. We change. We become more and more like him, holy as he is holy. Uh, we belong to him as his children, but we behave. Our conduct is after his holiness. And it's amazing that Israel, the, the nation uh, um, uh, that God chose through whom Jesus came, you know, their holiness was defined by God. And it's the thing that was set, that, that set them apart from every other nation everywhere in the world. And, and it was a very pervasive uh, 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 set of, of, of rules, really, what they should eat and what they should you know, do and what, what they should wear. I mean, it was, it, was, it was all encompassing every bit of their lives. And, and, and the word holiness actually comes from the word to, to separate or to cut. Uh, and so there's a sense that God, you know, cut Israel. He separated them from the, the other nations. He said, I want you to live in this way so that it's obvious you're mine and, I, and I, I'm your God. And, uh, and, and so we too, when we're called to be holy, we too are cut from culture. Not cut from culture as in like we just like the culture, but cut from it as in like we're unlike the culture. And we also distance ourselves, we separate ourselves from what used to dominate. We distance ourselves from what used to don- dominate. The, the, the futile and the, and the passions of our former life, our former ignorance, as you say, we're not conformed to that. This is the holiness, practically how we live out our lives. Is we, we are different. We, we follow Jesus. We, we do what he asks of us. We obey him as obedient children. So let's read uh, some more, uh, verse 17 um, only, we'll read now. It says, And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Let's just stop, stop there for a moment. So it says here, if you call on him as father, and that's amazing because it doesn't just say you call him father. I talked about your identity, obedient children, who you belong to. But it says when you call on him as father, that speaks of a, a relationship that, that you are praying to and appealing to him. So he is not a distant dad. Uh, maybe that's your, been your experience of a father. God is not like that. He's a God that you could approach, that you could call on in your time of need. One that is there for you uh, in prayer. And so you, to call on him as father. And then he says, you know, um, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. And he says, conduct yourselves with fear 
throughout the time of your exile. So, so let, if, he's, if he's our father and we call on him as father, well, how does this fear of him, where, how, where does that fit in? Well, because he's our father, it, it cannot mean uh, that, that uh, uh, fearing him would mean it, uh, we cannot do what I've just explained in terms of approaching him. You know, that kind of fear uh, um, that, that would keep us from him, it, it cannot mean that. So what does it mean? Well, it's an appropriate reverence and awe for the creator of the universe, who's our father as well. Uh, a respect that I think anybody would understand, anybody who, who's ever stood before a judge would understand that, you know, this is, this is a proper way to be in front of a judge. This is a proper way to speak in front of a judge, even, even in front of a father. Like I even, this week I spoke to one of my kids about how they speak to their teachers. I'm like, hey, listen, watch that you don't lack some respect because there's an appropriate relationship that you as a student should have with your teacher. And so, you know, when we talk about God, our Father, He's the creator of the universe, that's our Father, who will one day judge everybody. And, and so there's a sense that that fear uh, is an appropriate reverence and awe for Him. It's not a paralyzing terror that, that often is, you know, associated with the subject of a, of a really bad leader. No, God is a good God. And so it's not a paralyzing fear that makes you run from Him. It's one that makes you call on Him as Father because you can, He can be trusted. He's good. He's kind. And, uh, and it obviously also means just an awareness of his, his, uh, uh, our dependency upon him, not his dependency on us, our dependency on him as children. And, and of course, the God of the universe, his, his all-pervasive presence, you know, not to fool ourselves that, you know, that we can live in one way, compartmentalize our lives, you know, uh, set our hope partially on him. But, you know, other than we just have this other section of our lives that God has got nothing to do with. That's like not knowing God for who he truly is. We've been brought into a relationship with uh, the omniscient, uh, omnipresent God. Uh, he's our father and so we live our lives in reverent awe in fear of him healthy fear as we ought to uh, because uh, you know it motivates us of course as it's a motivation to to holiness but we're going to read now verses 18 to 19 and see that it's not the only thing that motivates us he goes on he says knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways there it is inherited from your forefathers not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. There you have it. So the motivation there is uh, not only that, you know, God is to be feared, our, our, our heavenly father, but also that, that he purchased you, he ransomed you from that former life, from the, the slavery of sin by the, the blood of his son by the precious blood of the Lamb. And you know, when he, used the word, when he uses the word ransom, his readers, although not, not Jewish, uh, and they're not of Israel, Israel um, they're not Israelites, Israeli descent, I don't even know how to say it. Um, they're not Jews. They, um, they did understand this image of ransom and, and slavery. You know, in the Greco-Roman world, uh, you know, they did understand how slavery worked. It was a reality in their day. It didn't run along racial lines so much as it did along economic lines. And so you could actually be, be set free if you uh, exchanged an amount of money with your owner. Often it would happen through pagan temples, you know, who, 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 uh, who brokered these things. And you could be redeemed as a slave if you paid the, the ransom, if you paid the, 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 the amount. And so they understood that. But here, Peter is writing to them as a Jew to a Gentile predominantly audience, also connecting them to the promise 
to Abraham and ultimately, you know, his descendants, uh, who who is the nation of Israel, and and that deliverance that they experienced out of Egypt as slaves there, when God redeemed them through really the blood of the lamb, like they had to, you know, kill a a lamb and put its 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 a spotless lamb and put its blood on the doorposts and 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 judgment wouldn't fall upon their family their firstborn would be spared um, uh, as a result of of that and that was the final straw that broke the camel's back that made pharaoh say let these people go they can they can be free and they were they were released from slavery uh, on their way to the promised land and so yes he's talking about you know the language that they understand but ultimately he's saying to these gentile listeners you're a part of the story you're you're abraham's descendants like the like jews like myself and you also have been ransomed like they've been taken from slavery their forefathers um, out of egypt you've been ransomed and and taken from slavery of sin actually jesus's death points to a greater reality that actually we're all the whole world were in bondage to this cruel slave master to, to sin and jesus rescued you as well not just that nation i think that is a, an amazing thing and so later on uh well before i say that i just want to make this point that when god rescued israel he didn't rescue them based on their holiness he didn't say oh you're a bunch of good you know law-abiding slaves i'm gonna i'm gonna uh, set you free now no he he rescued them because a lamb was slaughtered and the blood was shed in, in their place and it's so it's, it's it was a grace that that took them out and, and when they were taken out then god said to them okay now you're my people yeah yeah and now be holy as i am holy and he gave them the laws and the regulations so so the, the way that they lived was actually a response to grace to to what god had already done apart from how they lived their lives and so the gospel even was embedded in that story and it's still true for us today and so you know jesus instituted the lord's supper or, or communion which we often do together on the 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 the, the passover meal night when um when they would remember as as a nation how God had rescued them uh, from Egypt, out from slavery. And in doing so, in that night when Jesus you know, broke the bread and he, and he raised the cup, he, he said, this is my body you know, given for you. He was saying, I'm the lamb. He, he was basically saying all of that, that stuff, all this, this, this year in and year out remembering, it's culminated and fulfilled in me. I'm the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate lamb. That's why Peter writes here, like a lamb without spot, blemish he was sinless and he died in the place for sinners like you and me and our our blemishes was put upon him the perfect one on that cross and so uh you know he he kicked off um uh communion and so you and i as we uh take communion we as gentiles just like the 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 readers of this letter uh we are now a part of that rescue too. Okay, I want you to, I want you to take that with you. Um, just as they look back, Israel looked back at uh, their rescue as a nation, you and I look back to the death of Jesus on the cross, the, the, the lamb that was slain, as our own rescue. Just as it marked their identity, they are God's people. 
taken out of slavery, you know, into the desert, you know, through the Red Sea, into, into the promised land. So you and I are people rescued, you know, and we've gone through the waters of baptism and now we are sons and daughters. We belong to God. We're his children and he's taking us into the promised land. Now we see the world and, and, and around us as the Egypt and we see Jesus as our lamb rescuing us from slavery and, and we are on our way to the promised land. We have a new perspective, you and I. And they celebrated this once a year, the Passover. And Jesus, when he, when he, when he changed that meal, he, you know, he, he said, do this often, not, not just once a year. Do this as often in remembrance of me. And that's what we're going to do right now. Now, I know that uh, all the community group leaders uh, have been told about this. Last week, we made the announcement that our time of communion, uh, we're going to change that up a little bit. And, and try and facilitate that in groups. So I don't know what your community group leader said. And if you're not in a community group, that's okay. You can still take communion uh, uh, on your own in your home right now uh, alongside all of us. But we're trying to do this together as a community because we, we are making this declaration that we are a new people. And, and this moment is so significant for us, you know, as it would have been for the, for the, for the readers of, of this letter. And so, um, you know, I don't know, maybe it's via Zoom, uh, that you guys are all together right now. I'm going to give you 60 seconds, really, to um, to take communion. So, you know, there'll be a slide up on the screen and for one minute. Maybe you're all connected already. Uh, you know, I'm probably doing that with my community group right now because this is pre-recorded. Um, and so we're going to take communion together, uh, celebrating this new perspective. I want you guys to all take communion knowing, wow, we have been ransomed. We, you know, we're called to be holy. Uh, because God bought us with the blood of Jesus that was shed, with his body on that cross, with his life given for you and me. We're rescued from sin. And, and as we eat this, we realize this is, uh, he's made us now a, a new community. We have a new identity uh, all together. Celebrate all the realities of what he's done for you um, over communion now. And then we'll come back and we'll finish off the sermon with the last five verses. So enjoy <laughs> All right, we're going to pick things up from verse 20 now. Uh, so let's read verse 20 to 21 together. It goes like this. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him, Jesus, are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Well, again, yeah, he just speaks about, you know, God's plan of redemption that uh, wasn't an afterthought, he, you know, foreknown before the foundation of the world. Uh, that's an amazing truth, you know, so we look back, uh, but also saying that presently for them, you know, not just in the, the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, that was, you know, for them, a fairly recent account uh, for us, it's, you know, 2000 years later, but, you know, he made, made manifest, you know, speaks of Jesus coming in the flesh and, and having that uh, reality um, and saying that in the last times, uh, which actually, uh, you know, it says, well, it's made manifest for you. So like that's present, but in the last times, what does he mean? Well, uh, to read it here, it refers to the period that's inaugurated by Jesus' death, uh, uh, resurrection and ascension, and one day will be consummated by his return at the end of history. So we, in a sense, are also in the same last times. You know, it began with the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension, and it will end 
at the end of history with his return again. Um, and so, you know, it's made manifest, even for us, we, we live in that present reality that the plan that God had from the beginning uh, came to fruition and fulfillment in Jesus. And we're living in that. We're still living in the end times in that sense, in the last days, at least that he is describing over there. And he says, you know, through Jesus, we've become believers in God. Again, just pointing to the exclusivity of Christianity. There is no way to the Father except through what Jesus has done. Only in the gospel is sin properly dealt with. You know, you might think there's other ways to God, but the problem of sin is taken care of properly uh, in, in the message of the gospel. There is no way to a holy Father other than through what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And it says, uh, you know, through him, uh, we through Jesus, we, we are believers. And so verse 22, let's read that. Having purified your souls by your obedience, that's that word again, uh, to the truth for a sincere brotherly love or sisterly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Okay, and, and so here he's just saying, you know, the old life that Jesus stopped and has rescued us, he's also kicked us kicked it off a new life because there's a new heart. And so we don't just externally love people, like in a sense trying to earn God's love. No, he, he does something inside of us that our love is sincere and it flows from a pure heart. So in other words, the, the, the love that we do uh, and with our hands is because there's a genuine love in our hearts. That's why when we broke bread together now as a community, it's a way of living this out. We love one another. We've been transformed. Genuinely love one another. Not just externally knowing we should, but internally we actually want to. Want to love one another. This is the change that Jesus brings about. And he'll get, he'll get more specific as the chapters roll on. And then verses uh, 23 to 25 in conclusion. Since you've been born again, Okay. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. You know, grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. And so he's talking here about the living and the abiding word of God. Um, powerful pictures these and I, and I think he's referring to both the written word I mean here he's quoting Isaiah 40 uh, so he's referring to the written word even the word that is used in Greek here is the word logos but he also uses the word rhema which speaks of the spoken word and, and he's obviously referring to the, the news that was preached to us the spoken word even in verses before in chapter 1 and so there's this 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 uh, this example of the word of God both written and, and heard, even you, hearing me preach the gospel, hearing me uh, preach God's word. It's a combination of those two. And this word that comes to us in written, you know, logos and, and, and in spoken rhema form uh, is living. So it produces a, a, a change, a new life, you know, the, the word of God in us. Uh, and it's abiding. In other words, it, it doesn't just change us once, but it brings sustained change in our lives. And uh, with that, I would love for us to, to end off with a, a moment of com commission. So, uh, you know, stand by for, for instructions. So this week I, I listened to a podcast um, where somebody interviewed Rick Warren. He's a well-known author, well-known pastor uh, in the world, really. And, and he, he shared this little moment about his kind of uh, devotion life, especially during this pandemic, uh, about God's word, you know, first thing in the morning and God's word. Uh, as the last thing in the day. And he says, you know, he puts his Bible, his open Bible. Here's my open Bible. 
uh, he puts it next to his bed, leaves it open because he says, you know, it's easy to ignore a closed Bible, but an open Bible is one that uh, it's not it's not easy to ignore. And he says he wakes up before he looks at his watch or the phone, he just reads verses until something that confronts him or something that uh, comforts him. Uh, he, he finds that and then he stops and, he, and that he takes with him into the day. So it's the first thing he hears is God's word. And then at the end, when he gets into his bed and just before he closes his eyes, again, he doesn't go to his screens, he doesn't go to his phone, he goes to the word. And, and the, the last you know, bit that he read and he carries on reading until he finds something that confronts him or something that gives him comfort. And then he takes that into his sleep. And I spoke even with a city gator a few weeks ago about just during this pandemic, how God has changed his life because he, he was sharing with me that, you know, he used to, after putting the kids to bed, kind of unwind, you know, maybe with some video games. Uh, and, uh, and, and actually the, the habits for him has changed where he's now gone back to God's word. And he said he couldn't believe it. Like sometimes he, you think, when was the last time I played games? And he basically just, just minds God's word and has seen the, the, the effects of that, the living and abiding word in his life and in his family. Such an encouraging story. And that can be yours too. I know that's the case for me. Uh, um, if I neglect uh, the scriptures, I, I run dry. I, 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 I no longer have, um, uh, you know, I, I lack things in my life because this, is, this word is living and active and abiding. And so would you not, uh, would you take this challenge up that you find yourself with your Bible open next to your bed this week and make it the first and the last thing that you the first thing you see in the morning and the last thing that you see at night and and, and take God at his word and see how that produces change in your life especially specifically as it relates to some of the things that we read now in these verses together I trust you'll have an amazing week let me pray for you and uh, and then we'll be done thank you Lord for your word uh, it's so rich it's really brought about so much change in my life, and I know in so many others. And I ask that this week we would experience more of that, that you would help us, Lord, to, uh, off the back of the truth of the gospel, find ourselves pursuing you, our Father, uh, uh, you know, being conformed to your ways, not the ways of this world, and, and using your word as a, as a means, as a guide uh, for us to take you at your word, that we would, be ob uh, we would be observably different, that we'd be obvious that we as Christians we have uh, another king and his name is Jesus and we and our hope is set fully upon him and not uh, on other things, uh, temporary things around us. We ask these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.